Hey there, welcome to the show. Well, how is everybody doing this weekend? You know what, being a long weekend, I hope that uh, you've been able to, uh, you know, at least get out, enjoy, you know, I don't know, what could we do this weekend? You know, weather's kind of hit and miss, so, you know, hopefully everybody's just having a good time. And of course, today I'm gonna be talking a lot about real estate. I have a special guest joining me shortly. Uh, he is the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board. He is Kevin Krieger, and uh, Kevin's going to be joining me, and we're going to have a talk about what is happening in the marketplace. So I know a lot of you are keeping your eyes on what's going on, and you know there's a little bit of nervousness in the marketplace. So I do want to talk about that. It's going to be very important. Um, so Kevin will be joining me in a little while. And, of course, you know, I do get revved up for my rant every single week. Um, I've got a different one for you this week, but... Uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting because um, I, I'm not a huge fan of, you know, TV shows or at least some of these ones that people, you know, watch interviews. And, and you know, I don't want to pick on any one show, but um, Dr. Phil actually had the, was promoting this, this group on his show, and it was called Sunday. And, you know, I want to talk about it because it's one of these things that, you know, I always wonder what is happening when, you know, people and you get celebrities involved endorsing, you know, certain aspects of real estate. So company basically says that they'll help seniors sell their properties. You don't put it on the market. They basically have investors ready to buy it. And so it made me start thinking to myself, okay, so how many companies are out there like this? Is there a lot? You know, the U.S. has a lot of different styled companies. We're a little bit more regulated here in Canada. So, you know, I decided to do a bit of a dive to find out. And it's amazing how many companies are out there willing to buy your home for investors. And, you know, to myself, I started thinking to myself, okay, so why would, why would a senior want to do this? And, you know, they do the touchy-feely and they're trying to talk about certain things, such as, you know, um, you don't have to have anybody invade your home. Okay, fair enough. You know, a lot of people are you know, a little bit, you know, cautious. They don't want strangers in their home and I can respect that. And then of course, you know, maybe your home's a little bit tired. You know, if you've lived there for, you know, multiple years, let's say 20, 30 years, you know, maybe the bathroom's not updated. Maybe the kitchen's not updated. So again, these are the kind of things that a lot of, you know, these companies are saying, hey, don't worry about it. We've got an investor buyer that's just going to buy it. And, you know, you can basically have a close within a, you know, time period that you're comfortable with. And a lot of times this is with them working with seniors. So, you know, I started to think to myself, okay, you know, so what is, what is, you know, going wrong here? Is it truly the best way for people to sell a property? Now, again, going back to the motivation. So if you don't feel like having somebody come into your home, you don't feel like having that invasion, you don't want to do, you know, a massive cleanup or staging or things that, you know, a lot of the real, real estate industry does focus on. But are we truly getting the best dollar? And that's, that's really what my rant is about today, is how to get the best dollar for your home. Now, I know there's a bunch of purchasers out there saying, hey, that's not fair. You know, you're always, you know, siding with the seller. But it's their home. You know, they've lived there maybe 30 years. You know, it's their equity that we need to protect. And this is why, you know, taking a look at certain styles of real estate and how transactions are actually happening is a little bit concerning. So is this going to be the wave of the future? So we can completely just, you know, take a different take, you know, company comes in, one person walks around, takes pictures, throws it out, you know, investors buy it, 
eventually you leave now they'll turn around and do a couple of things they'll either gut reno knock it down you know sell it to somebody else maybe in the open market or turn it into a rental property so this is the reason why i bring this up was that there's been some major major companies down in the u.s and worldwide that you know people are getting afraid of because they're saying you know they're gonna they've got billions to spend and they're gonna start buying up all the houses so is this a foray into that kind of stuff and so this is this is you know a big part of the narrative when we start hearing a lot of complaints about you know people being investors and buying investment properties so is it the major corporations we should be afraid of is it should it be the mom and pops that we should be afraid of because no matter what you know i think we're going to require more and more rental properties in our future so are companies like this that maybe target market a certain demographic are they doing the right thing well, they might be for them, but I'm not sure if they're doing the right thing for the renting public, if that's the route that they're going to go. Then when we take a look at the major corporations that have all the buying power on the earth, and they can turn around and basically buy a small city or town, you know, is that going to be a good thing? So this is, this is the big, big, big question that keeps coming up. What is going to happen to home ownership? Is it going to get consumed by a bunch of companies? It's going to get consumed by, you know, the, the little landlords. And you know, I'm going to tell you that I like the little landlords. You know, I like the idea that somebody's just, you know, trying to protect their future a little. You know, am I going to dissuade, you know, corporations from building properties? No. In fact, I think one of the things that the government should be doing right now is focusing on the private corporations, could be the REITs, could be the major landlords, and give them some leeway to start building purpose, you know, rental buildings. I think, I think this is the missing middle that we're going to have. So, for those of you out there that are concerned about the neighborhoods being eaten up and turning everything into rental, well, I think that, you know, we have to send a message out to the government to make sure that they understand where the inventory should be coming from. And again, the private sector, large corporations, REITs, I think that they should have more leeway to build more properties. Now, if they can be then designed uh, in the right way so that it's also affordable because we've got to keep, obviously, rents in the uh, right you know, price point, and I'm not talking about affordable housing, I'm talking about housing that's affordable. If we can do that, then I think it's going to be a good blend for the future. And maybe, just maybe, you know, those those suburbs, those little neighborhoods that everybody's afraid that are just going to get, you know, plowed under or turned into, you know, a rental jungle, that's not going to happen. Because if we can turn around and get more rental properties in the marketplace, there's not going to be that desire to do that. So then your transactions will then revert back to your typical families moving into neighborhoods, family moving out of neighborhood. And this is the thing. This is why, you know, again, with an upcoming election that we have, you know, I don't know what party I would vote for um, if it was only based on what they're talking about in real estate. Because they all have these pie-in-the-sky ideas. You know, we keep hearing about how many properties we don't have and how they think they're going to build it, but you and I both know the truth. There's no way they can build what they're promising. So then what are they going to do? Well, federal government decides that they want to, you know, kick down the foreign buyers. So, you know, and by the way, a lot of foreign buyers rented their properties out. Yeah, some did stay vacant. And if you left your property vacant, you got taxed. But there was a bunch of it that went into the rental inventory. So where are we going to go with all this? This is, this is, this is the dilemma, I think, that we've got. And it doesn't matter what level of government you talk to. They all think they're doing the right thing. 
So, you know, we've got companies out there that are saying, you know what, we're going to help out seniors, we're going to do the right thing, we've got investors, and then you've got the government saying, hey, we're going to do the right thing. So what is the right thing? You know, I wish I had all the answers, but I don't. Um, I do ask a lot of questions. I try to make sense of some of it, but some of it is so nonsensical when we take a look at what they're proposing. I mean, you know, think about it. 1.5 million homes in the next uh, 10 years here in Ontario, 150,000. I mean, we're, we're lucky if we can complete 50,000. And now they're wanting to turn around and say they're going to build 150,000. And they've got to rev up the diggers and the machines. And then guess what else? They've got to find the people that are going to build it. Where are we going to find those? You know, it was interesting because I have this conversation a fair bit that when we talk about immigration, you know, what we really need is we need to bring in the trades. You know, could we turn around? Would the government be smart enough to turn around and say, look, we're going to encourage the trades to immigrate to Canada. In fact, we're going to give you X, you know, of an opportunity if you do. So this is where I struggle, I think, the most, is that we've got people that are trying to make solutions for, for one group. We know that the rental inventory could get lost uh, in the mix somewhere. We have a government that is dissuading foreign investment but doesn't know how to encourage the bill that they keep promising us. So again, I'm pretty sure that most people are sitting there saying, Todd, you're a little confused. You know what the answer is? I am. I'm absolutely perplexed on why there is not a solution to this problem. You know, I could tell you what the solution is, but nobody's ever going to listen. And I think personally, what the government has to do is they have to check up 100% of development charges. I think what they do is they should mandate the builder slash private companies to put the infrastructure in themselves, take off the limitation, let them build like crazy. And it's not because I'm trying to support the private you know, sector and that I think everybody should be making money, but it'll get done. And so we can sit here and talk about it for the next 10 years. And then when the next big wave of real estate prices and everybody keeps saying it's unaffordable, well, we're all going to slip into the same problem. And by the way, we still have four to 500,000 new immigrants coming into Canada half of them in Ontario, where are we going to put them? So again, my solution is, tell you what, government, take your hand out of everybody's pocket, okay? Allow the small uh, landlords, allow the big landlords to develop, okay? Realize that you're going to be able to increase, you know, the amount of people working, which is going to be key in the future. And at the same time, you're going to get your property taxes. You're going to get, you know, lots of infrastructure built and they'll do it properly, okay? And they'll do it in a timely fashion. So that's kind of my take on it this week. And I know, a lot, again, I kind of went sideways a little on it and not really lost. I just wish, wish there was a solution, which I just gave you, that people would actually utilize because that's the only way that we're going to get out from A, our inventory shortage, and B, be able to structure everything so everybody's happy. You know, and making everybody happy, it's not going to be the easiest thing. So we're going to have to work on it. So. Like I said, upcoming election, what are we going to do? Well, I don't know, because taking a look at the candidates, you know, I don't think any of them have a great solution for real estate. Now, speaking of solutions for real estate, you know, if you want to go to thesimpleinvestor.com, you can. Also, you can follow me on Instagram, thesimpleinvestor1. Um, I do talk a lot um, on the radio station here uh, with Jerry Agar. We do bring up a lot of the things that come front and center when we talk about the real estate market. So if you ever want to tune in, uh, you know, Jerry is on nine till noon uh, during the week. And, uh, you know, sometimes I'll pop on and we'll have a conversation about the la latest and greatest 
you know, titles that's happening in the news for, uh, for real estate. But coming up after the break, as I mentioned, I've got the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board President, Kevin Krieger, joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned, just before the break, my next guest, well, you know what? Definitely the person I want to talk to about the Toronto real estate uh, and what is going on. He is the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, Kevin Krieger. And Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the invitation. I greatly appreciate you joining us. And, um, you know, I guess uh, I guess we could start off, you know, um, having a little bit of a discussion about what the market is looking like right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of reports. I think a little people, uh, you know, there's a few people out there thinking that the sky's falling a little, but it seems like there's still, you know, lots of transactions to be had. Well, certainly. I think February definitely represents the high watermark in the market, at least in terms of the current market cycle. Obviously, we see a market that's adjusting to substantially higher borrowing costs. Um, I guess to put it in context, someone who negotiated a five-year fixed mortgage a year ago um, is probably seeing rates that are pretty much doubled in terms of what a negotiated rate would be today. So anytime we've seen a sort of interest rate rise, especially one that's fairly substantial, we've generally seen a period of market adjustment, which is fairly typical. Um, Certainly from February, we've seen a decrease in overall price and volume, which I think is to be expected. It's certainly looked substantial based on the fact that it's also coming off of a record year. But in terms of the sort of supply-demand equation, we're still in a market that is very much starved of supply. Um, And certainly there's nothing in the short term that's really going to combat that in any significant way. So I think the Bank of Canada certainly is achieving their goal, which is obviously to cool the market. Um, But I think the fundamental sort of supply-demand equation remains. And while some buyers may step out of the market for a period of time to sort of readjust and determine their personal affordability, we certainly are still in a market that for now is certainly defined as a seller's market based on available inventory. So, Kevin, you did touch on something I think that's important for us to talk to our listeners about, and that is the interest rates. Now, I know you've been in the business for quite a while, and when we take a look backwards, you know, we have seen interest rate increases before. You know, the run-up in 2016-17, obviously, you know, we saw a lot of volume happening, and then, you know, stress test, foreign buyer tax, and then upward pressure on the interest rates right up basically till COVID hit. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, right now... Do you, do you find or are you seeing, you know, evidence where I, I think people just got, you know, I think a little complacent with such low interest rates. And I think it's a little bit of that knee jerk shock reaction that's happening right now. But as you mentioned, you know, we, we have historically low you know inventory. I think that the people that are saying and throwing around the idea that, oh, the market's going to adjust massively. I, I just don't see it based on the numbers. Well, I, I think at least speaking personally from the early 2000s, there have been people who have been talking about sort of a market bubble and a bubble bursting. Um, and anytime there's sort of any indication of a change in the market, you know, that certainly seems to amplify. You know, looking at 2018, we had obviously the introduction of the OSPI stress test, um, which effectively substantially increased one's qualifying rate. And we had the foreign buyer tax, we had the fair housing plan. So we had a number of sort of government interventions as well in the market. And, you know, we saw a period where prices 
moderately declined. And there was a discussion of, you know, this is sort of the end. And coming out of that, you know, it, it took sort of a around 12 months to start seeing comparable levels of market activity, people adjusting to the new reality. And, you know, the market hummed along. Certainly COVID amplified the pace of growth in the market um, to really an unprecedented degree. But the fundamental sort of supply equation still remains. We have a growing population, one with the largest amount of immigration we've seen in a long time. And I think we're also going to benefit from net migration, people sort of coming into the greater Toronto area. And we already were building less homes um, of all types, you know, houses, freehold, condo. And I think all of that effectively remains the same. So higher interest rates definitely will create pause. And for those who are at the margins of affordability to begin with, it, it certainly will create a, a substantial challenge for them. But interest rate rises are not going to change the pace of immigration. They're not going to change the pace of migration. And really, I think that will further fuel the sort of supply deficit that exists in our market already. When we take a look at the numbers, um, you know, last year was a record year for the number of transactions that we saw through the Toronto board. And if we were to, I, I don't mean for you to speculate, but where, what number do you think we're going to be looking at this year? Well, I think we're definitely going to see a decrease in overall volume. Um, it, it's probably beyond my pay grade to sort of provide substantial projections in terms of where those numbers land. Um, you know, certainly a, a 20% decline in overall transaction volume is possible. Um, but again, I think a lot of it will be dependent on what continues in terms of rate increases and, you know, what the, the pace of inflation um, ultimately is through the balance of the year. So when we, when we talk about real estate, you know, there is the political aspect of it where, you know, we've got an up and coming election. Um, do you think that'll have, you know, it doesn't matter what party gets elected. Do you think that'll have any bearing on um, real estate? I mean, a lot of a lot of the candidates, they are trying to promote more building. I, I mean, it's nice to see that real estate is now front and center and, and so is inventory, but it's also achieving what they're promising. So do you think that that will have any effect on the real estate market? I, I certainly think it will. I think all levels of government and all parties at all levels of government certainly recognize the supply challenges that exist. And, you know, it's, it's become a national conversation for really the first time. And I think with all of the parties focused to housing as a major concern, um, housing affordability, uh, I think every party is bringing forward, you know, substantial platforms when it comes to ultimately the housing side of the conversation. So regardless of who ultimately is elected and you know, regardless of which party ultimately ends up in power, all of the parties certainly have a focus on housing. And you know, many of the ideas presented certainly represent great opportunities. We've already certainly seen some changes that have come from the federal government. Um, and I think the recognition of a problem ultimately provides an opportunity, at least, to work towards a solution. Yeah. Now, you are the president of the largest real estate board in Canada and you know one of the bigger ones in North America. Do you ever reach out to some of your colleagues, let's say, in the United States or across Canada, 
to see if they're all in the same marketplace. You know, a lot of people seem to think that Toronto itself was overinflated, as was Vancouver. But, you know, we still remain, I think, very, very similar to a lot of the big markets around the world. Most definitely. And to be honest, even some of the smaller markets, we certainly speak often with our colleagues in Canada. Uh, We have a lot of interactions as well with our colleagues in the United States. And, you know, there are a number of trends that sort of have carried through all markets. If you look at markets throughout Ontario, or you broaden that to markets throughout Canada, we've seen substantial pace in growth, uh, both in volume and price throughout the last couple of years. The discussion of housing affordability, whether it's a market where average price point is $1.25 million or $400,000, there are concerns in all local markets around you know, affordability, um, the availability of property as well. So it, it's definitely a national and, and to some degree North American conversation that's occurring. Yeah. Um, so folks, if you're just tuning in, my guest right now uh, is the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, uh, Kevin Krieger. And and Kevin, you know, one of the one of the things obviously that's important, I think, is for people to not just read headlines, but to understand the numbers. And it's one of those things, you know, here at the show, we try to make sure that we dissect the numbers so people don't go running. You know, as I said, sometimes people think the sky's falling. So uh, if you can just hang on tight, I'd love to take a quick break and then come back more with you. So, folks, when I come right back, I'm going to be uh, joined by Kevin Krieger again. And so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, Kevin Krieger. And just for, before the break, we were talking, obviously, about what the uh, the market's doing. And uh, Kevin, you know, I was just trying to get a little bit, I guess, um, drilled down on some of the headlines. And I'm just, one of the things that I'm always concerned about in the media is that when you hear that, you know, sales are off by 30, 40%. A lot of people naturally go to the dollar amount as opposed to volume. And mm-hmm. volume, volume can shift without pricing uh, shifting. So can you, can you elaborate really a little bit more about what's going on in this market? Yeah, so I, I think it's an important differentiation in terms of volume. So number of transactions occurring and overall price. We certainly saw a substantial drop in overall number of sales uh, last month. And we did definitely see a a modest um, decrease in overall value. But I think looking at real estate and looking at sort of long-term value, we saw a substantial increase really in the first two months of the year, greater than 20%. So that obviously is really an unsustainable level of price growth in such a short period of time. So certainly over the course of this year, we see that overall growth dissipating um, and you know, still ending up likely in positive territory December of last year to December of this year. Um, but certainly the sort of high watermark of February um, isn't something that will be maintained based on the current market conditions. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's the one thing that I think that people if you measure it with too much of a short stick, you know, month to month, that's a tough one to, to really gauge. And as you mentioned, you know, we had this huge, this huge peak in February, but you know, year over year is really the best way to, to imagine a real estate market. You know, it's not just so tight. So, you know, looking up uh, that we're coming into the summertime, you know, normally the spring market should be stronger, you know, but right now, as you mentioned earlier, that uh, with, with some of the interest rate hikes, we're seeing people maybe sit on the fence 
we've seen people do that and I, I think what happens is you get a little bit of pent up demand and normally it's the first time home buyer market that comes off the fence first. Do you think if we're going to create any kind of cycle, I mean, the condominium market seems to be still very strong in the Toronto market. It certainly is. And sort of looking over the last two years and understanding, I guess, what's occurred to date, you know, condos definitely were the first to come off in the sort of early days of the pandemic and didn't see nearly the price growth that the freehold market did. Now, as restrictions have eased and you know the market has continued forward, certainly the condo sector has benefited from a great deal of activity um, and certainly upward pressure on price. Likewise, looking at the rental market, uh, the rental market was most impacted, I would say, in the early days of COVID, again, with population who are renting, the ability for them to sort of move around and make changes um, is much more free than the ownership side um, because it's essentially you know, providing a period of notice to the landlord and, and vacating the property. So we've certainly seen a robust resurgence in the rental market. We've seen vacancy rates substantially decrease. And certainly with rising interest rates, I think it'll put additional pressure on the rental market. Um, largely because those who are not going into ownership housing will either continue to or or look to rental as an alternative. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you brought up the rental market because also with the influx of the large population that we're seeing, you know, potentially 500,000 new people coming into Canada, a lot of them landing in the GTA, you know, normally they rent before they buy. And I think that that's also going to continue to put pressure on the rental stock. Most definitely. And really with limited investment for many, many years in rental stock, um, we already have sort of generally had an overall shortage. The sort of early days of COVID with the higher vacancy rate was sort of unusual to say the least. Um, But based on what typical demand is for rental and, and we're in sort of a more typical period now, certainly with a new population coming into the market who you're right, often do rent initially while they get settled and sort of familiar with neighborhood and location. Um, I think it will put substantial pressure on the rental market for sure. You know, and one of the one of the things, you know, just as an observer uh, in the marketplace, um, a lot of times it we're, we're finding it a little bit you know harder when we talk about the rental market, because at this time, we also have the, you know, jobs opening back up, you know, people are coming back to work full time. The idea that people were, you know, more out in the suburbs and now they're going to be having a little bit more demands put on them to, you know, bring back some of the jobs in the downtown core. Well, and that I think goes to the conversation really around upward pressure on rental prices. Um, because again, you're focused on a limited supply and, you know, the more people who ultimately are entering that area of the market, the greater the demand. So a lot of the conversation that's occurred to date really is focused on the ownership side of housing and, you know, the need for greater affordability and different mechanisms, certainly to um, allow people to enter the ownership side. But, you know, one of the things that everyone should be cognizant of is there's two elements to the market. So the ownership side certainly is one, but we really need to ensure that we have a robust rental market with adequate supply. 
um, in order to house those in need of rental housing, which is a significant population. So one of the things that comes up all the time, of course, is foreign buyers and you know federal government wanting to put a freeze on uh, foreign uh, purchase of uh, properties here in Canada. You know, from the numbers that have been reported in the past, both from you know the boards like yourselves, you know, it wasn't nearly the number that everybody was perceiving. And again, they a lot of people have been making a comment that they feel that the rising pricing that we've seen as of late was because of foreign buyers. Well, I think the federal government's focus on foreign buyers, while it may be politically viable um, and may play into headlines and you know some sentiment in the market, certainly is not based on fact. Um, and if you look at where foreign participation exists to a larger degree than in the resale market, it would really be in pre-construction and in condominiums. And if you look at also where rental stock is created, it's really condominiums that have ultimately replaced what in the 1970s or 1960s would have been rental buildings. Um, we certainly have not seen substantial pace of growth for purpose-built rentals. We've certainly started to see some coming to market, but really for the last many decades, that rental stock has been made up of individually owned condominium units. Um, and one of the concerns in, you know, especially the federal policy is to address issues on one side of the equation being the sort of ownership side of housing, we really need to ensure that we don't further deplete the rental side of the equation. And, you know, unless there's a plan for substantial investment in purpose-built rental buildings, those units need to be created somewhere. Um, so the foreign buyer conversation, while it does seem to get a lot of media attention, really is not a, a fundamental factor in overall market conditions. It's sort of a red herring to some degree. Yeah. And and it seems like a lot of people are hanging their hat on that. And again, going back to more of a political, um, I think, manipulation is the fact that they believe that this is actually going to have some effect. And when 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 we look at the big picture, as I said, you know, when, when they were basically screaming from the rafters in 2017 that it was all foreign buyers, it was really four or five percent of the marketplace at best that was actually being absorbed that way. Well, and that's definitely what actual studies have shown. Um, you know, looking at the the government's proposals from the the federal government's perspective, a lot of the conversation and a lot of the sort of policy discussion is not really rooted in reality. So. Real estate as a profession is governed at the provincial level, and it really is the purview of the provinces. I think we've seen the federal government step back from some of their discussion around different policy changes because they recognize that they don't really have authority over real estate regulation. That ultimately rests with the provinces. So they've now changed the conversation to you know, bringing together provincial representatives to have conversation. Um, and I think they've sort of started to step back from some of the items that were brought forward as part of their platform. You know, looking at what the federal government can do, they certainly have tools to encourage the creation of additional housing stock through infrastructure investments, 
Um, they certainly have the abilities to create savings programs and what have you uh, on a tax deferred basis. So there are tools that are there, but a number of the items that came forward in terms of very specific regulatory changes, I think were really misplaced. So Kevin, we're going to go to one more quick break. If you can hang on, folks, we'll be right back with the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, Kevin Krieger. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now, he is the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board president, Kevin Krieger. And Kevin, just before the break, um, you know, you and I were taking a look at some of the things that, you know, pop up in the media, one of them being foreign buyers, that there's pressure in the marketplace because of them. And, you know, knowing the stats and the numbers, because I know that, you know, as the board president, you get the numbers, you know exactly where people are buying and selling and, and who's coming in. You know, one of, one of the things that I think we have to be mindful of uh, in the future, and it's not really the foreign buyers, but the people that have gotten involved in transactions um, that may have a little bit of buyer remorse. You know, I think that some people, you know, jumped in in competing offers. Um, do you think that this is going to become a bit of a wave? Because, you know, we're starting to see some of the articles popping up that, you know, people are afraid that if the market does adjust too much, that they're they're going to wish that they hadn't gotten in. Well, I think a couple of comments I would make in that regard. When we look at sort of real estate as a home, generally our timelines are substantial. You know, it's sort of a, a place to live, a place to raise a family, for many of us recently, a place to work as well. But I think we generally have a, a longer time horizon. So one of the challenges when you have a moving market and one that's adjusting to higher interest rates, regulatory changes, a whole host of different elements. You know, certainly you can see upward and downward movement um, in price. So certainly there are always concerns around, you know, value, offer strategy. And, and one of the important elements in utilizing a real estate professional is they can provide market intelligence. So you can look at sort of comparable solds. You can look at trends in various neighborhoods and for specific property types. And certainly utilizing the experience of a realtor to ultimately devise a, an offer strategy or secure an opinion of value, um, I think in, in changing markets is incredibly valuable. Looking at real estate as an asset class, you know, there's a very big difference between day trading stocks where, you know, small ups and small downs, you sort of buy sell with real estate. It's something where there are substantial transactional costs, mostly in the form of government fees. Um, but it also tends to be a longer time horizon in terms of investment. So I would say to those who maybe are concerned or, you know, feel that they might have been aggressive in what they paid for something yesterday and they're concerned as to what the immediate value is tomorrow. Um, I, I think really look at the perspective of length of tenure. What was the sort of investment time horizon at the time that you purchased? And recognizing that, you know, this is obviously a unique segment in the market where we've seen really unprecedented increases in interest rate in a very short period. We've also in a period of substantial inflation. Um, but I think the long-term purview for real estate remains strong based on the limited supply that exists in the market and what is 
obviously substantial demand and a growing population. So I think when you look at it from that lens, um, provided it wasn't sort of a speculative purchase, but one that was intended as a longer term um, asset or, or a longer term home, uh, I think it puts a very different perspective uh, in one's mind for sure. And, you know, when we take a look at investment real estate, and again, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of mention in the media that let own a second, third, fourth property um, that are driving the prices. You know, my, my take on it is uh, being obviously a real estate investor is that, you know, we need landlords in this country. Mm-hmm. We need, we need lots of landlords. And, you know, as you've mentioned, we've got a, we've got a shortage of both kinds of inventory, not just for you know, people's primary residence, but we definitely are going to have a shortage of rental properties. So I, I believe that, you know, there is a huge necessity for pe- the, the, the and, and I'll call them the mom and pop landlords, you know, and typically mm-hmm. they're the ones that will be buying, looking at a property and not from a speculative approach, but a little bit more of a nest egg approach, you know, something that they can have as security for their future. But I think, I think we need the smaller landlords more now than ever before. I think most definitely we do. And and I think that is also one of potentially the greatest tools to bring additional units or additional rental suites to market. If municipal governments looked at exclusionary zoning, where 70 to 75% of neighborhoods in Toronto are zoned exclusively for single family homes. And if we look at neighborhoods that generally are a little more dense to begin with, certainly have strong transit access, high walk scores. There's certainly a lot of opportunity for plex options. So duplex, triplex, fourplex. Um, And, you know, individual homeowners, individual property owners could in very short order convert what may be an oversized single family home to potentially a couple of suites, which may allow them to stay in place and age in place. Um, but utilize the full property's potential. Um, Yes, certainly potentially have an additional stream of income, but also very quickly bring additional housing units to market on the rental side where they're desperately in need. And, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because one of the things I've had, you know, a few politicians and mayors here on the show, and we we do talk about laneway housing and and the potential of, you know, having that additional, you know, basement apartment, but... Again, we need to make sure that the municipalities can make sure everything is nice and safe. But mm-hmm. it seems like so many people are hesitant because you know the government still is not making it that easy. You know, there's still the red tape that gets involved, even for the secondary suite. Well, you know, certainly for laneway housing, I know a number of people who have been involved in some of the early projects in the city, and it definitely is a much clearer process uh, than before. I think when it comes to auxiliary suites um, and especially conversion to multiplex, um, I personally did a conversion to three suites and it was an incredibly lengthy process. Um, There were many elements throughout the process that were very unclear. Um, There were development charges that were part of the equation as well, um, where no sort of added infrastructure was required Um, but you know, there were fees associated with the conversion and it's challenging, you know, municipalities obviously need to fund their operation, but 
you have municipal politicians who certainly advocate on behalf of their constituents and, you know, decry the costs of housing, both at the rental and ownership side. But if you look at how much of each new housing unit brought to market is made up of government charges and fees, it's astronomical. And, you know, looking at the proposed increases that council currently has out in terms of increases to development charges and associated fees and levies, it's substantial. So there also has to be an understanding that real estate really cannot exclusively fuel every element of municipal government. And, you know, looking to put all of these associated costs onto a small segment of the population, being those buying a home with double land transfer tax existing in Toronto, those buying a a newly created housing unit, such as a condominium, and all the associated development charges, levies, and fees, um, many of which make their way into city coffers. There has to be a a more broad-based conversation at some point, certainly on how municipalities are funded, and also how municipalities use those funds um, to reinvest in the overall city. Well, uh, you know, I would like to thank you for joining me today, Kevin. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show and definitely would like to touch base with you in the future and, uh, you know, get your perspective on the market. So once again, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. And that was the president of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, Kevin Krieger. And uh, great to have him on and get his perspective about the Toronto real estate uh, market right now. Lots going on. And, you know, as I said, having a professional join us, you know, we get the get the information right from where it is sourced. So um, I do want to uh, thank my producer, Ian Grant. He's kept it simple for me as usual. And more importantly, I do want to thank you for tuning in, making us the number one real estate talk show. And if you want, you can uh, go to the simpleinvestor.com, find out more about us. But that's it. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.